Chapter Two, Part Three of the Sorceress of the Strand by L. T. Mead and Robert Eustace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Blood Red Cross, Part Three. Little Miss Ripley did not appear at all that day. I was not surprised at her absence. The time had come when, doubtless, Madame found it necessary to divulge her awful scheme to the unhappy child. In the midst of that gay houseful of people, no one specially missed her. Even Rowland was engaged with many necessary matters, and had little time to devote to his future wife. The ballroom, decorated with real flowers, was a beautiful sight. Vandeleur, our host, and I paced up and down the long room. Rowland was in great excitement, making many suggestions, altering this decoration and the other. The flowers were too profuse in one place, too scanty in another. The lights, too, were not bright enough. "'By all means, have the ballroom well lighted,' said Vandeleur. "'In a room like this, so large, and with so many doors leading into passages and sitting-out rooms, it is well to have the light as brilliant as possible. You will forgive my suggestion, Mr. Rowland, when I say I speak entirely from the point of view of a man who has some acquaintance with the treacherous dealings of crime.' Rowland started. "'Are you afraid that an attempt will be made here to-night to steal the necklace?' he asked suddenly. "'We won't talk of it,' replied Vandeleur. "'Act on my suggestion.' and you have nothing to fear. Rollin shrugged his shoulders, and crossing the room, gave some directions to several men who were putting in the final touches. Nearly a hundred guests were expected to arrive from the surrounding country, and the house was as full as it could possibly hold. Rolland was to open the ball with little Antonia. There was no late dinner that day, and as evening approached, Vandeleur sought me. "'I say, Druze, dress as early as you can, and come down and meet me in our host's study.' I looked at him in astonishment, but did not question him. I saw that he was intensely excited. His face was cold and stern. It invariably wore that expression when he was most moved. I hurried into my evening clothes and came down again. Vandeleur was standing in the study talking to Rowland. The guests were beginning to arrive. The musicians were tuning up in the adjacent ballroom, and signs of hurry and festival pervaded the entire place. Rowland was in high spirits and looked very handsome. He and Vandeleur talked together, and I stood a little apart. Vandeleur was just about to make a light reply to one of our host's questions when we heard the swish of drapery in the passage outside, and little Antonia, dressed for her first ball, entered. She was in soft white lace, and her neck and arms were bare. The effect of her entrance was somewhat startling, and would have arrested attention even if we were not all specially interested in her. Her face, neck, and arms were nearly as white as her dress, her dark eyes were much dilated, and her soft black hair surrounded her small face like a shadow. In the midst of the whiteness a large red cross sparkled on her throat like living fire. Rowland uttered an exclamation, and then stood still. As for Vandeleur and myself, we held our breath in suspense. What might not the next few minutes reveal? It was the look on Antonia's face that aroused our fears. What ailed her? She came forward like one blind, or as one who walks in her sleep. One hand was held out slightly in advance, as though she meant to guide herself by the sense of touch. She certainly saw neither Vandeleur nor me, but when she got close to Rolland, the blind expression left her eyes. She gave a sudden and exceedingly bitter cry, and ran forward, flinging herself into his arms. "'Kiss me once before we part forever. Kiss me just once before we part,' she said. "'My dear little one,' I heard him answer. "'What is the meaning of this? You are not well. There, Antonia, cease trembling. 
"'Before we part, my dear? But there is no thought of parting. Let me look at you, darling. Ah!' He held her at arm's length and gazed at her critically. "'No girl could look sweeter, Antonia,' he said. "'And you have come now for the finishing touch, the beautiful pearls. But what is this, my dear? Why should you spoil your white neck with anything so incongruous? Let me remove it.' She put her hand to her neck, thus covering the crimson cross. Then her wild eyes met Vandeleur's. She seemed to recognize his presence for the first time. "'You can safely remove it,' he said to her, speaking in a semi-whisper. Roland gave him an astonished glance. His look seemed to say, "'Leave us,' but Vandeleur did not move. "'We must see this thing out,' he said to me. Meanwhile Roland's arm encircled Antonia's neck. His hand sought for the clasp of the narrow gold thread that held the cross in place. "'One moment,' said Antonia. She stepped back a pace. The trembling in her voice left it. It gathered strength. Her fear gave way to dignity. This was the hour of her deepest humiliation, and yet she looked noble. "'My dearest,' she said, "'my kindest and best of friends. I had yielded to temptation. Terror made me weak. The dread of losing you unnerved me, but I won't come to you charged with a sin on my conscience. I won't conceal anything from you.' I know you won't wish me now to become your wife. Nevertheless, you shall know the truth. What do you mean, Antonia? What do your strange words signify? Are you mad? said George Rowland. No, I wish I were. But I am no mate for you. I cannot bring dishonor to your honor. Madame said it could be hidden, that this, she touched the cross, would hide it. For this I was to pay, yes, to pay a shameful price. I consented, for the terror was so cruel but I—I I came here and looked into your face, and I could not do it. Madame shall have her blood-red cross back, and you shall know all. You shall see. With a fierce gesture, she tore the cross from her neck and flung it on the floor. The pearls for this, she cried. The pearls were the price, but I would rather you knew. Take me up to the brightest light, and you will see for yourself. Rowland's face wore an expression impossible to fathom. The red cross lay on the floor. Antonia's eyes were fixed on his. She was no child to be humoured. She was a woman, and despair was driving her wild. When she said, "'Take me up to the brightest light,' he took her hand, and without a word, led her to where the full rays of a powerful electric light turned the place into day. "'Look!' cried Antonia. "'Look! Madame wrote it! Here! Here!' She pointed to her throat. "'The words are hidden, but this light will soon cause them to appear. You will see for yourself.' you will know the truth. At last you will understand who I really am. There was silence for a few minutes. Antonia kept pointing to her neck. Rollin's eyes were fixed upon it. After a breathless period of agony, Vandeleur stepped forward. "'Miss Antonia,' he cried, "'you have suffered enough. I am in a position to relieve your terrors. You little guessed, Rollin, that for the last few days I have taken an extreme liberty with regard to you. I have been in your house simply and solely in the exercise of my professional qualities. In the exercise of my manifest duties, I came across a ghastly secret. Miss Antonia was to be subjected to a cruel ordeal. Madame Sarah, for reasons of her own, had invented one of the most fiendish plots it has ever been my unhappy lot to come across. But I have been in time. Miss Antonia, you need fear nothing. Your neck contains no ghastly secret. Listen, I have saved you, the nurse whom Madame believed to be devoted to her service considered it best for prudential reasons to transfer herself to me. 
Under my direction she bathed your neck today with a preparation of cyanide of potassium. You do not know what that is, but it is a chemical preparation which neutralizes the effect of what that horrible woman has done. You have nothing to fear. Your secret lies buried beneath your white skin. But what is the mystery? said Roland. Your actions, Antonia, and your words, Vandeleur, are enough to drive a man mad. What is it all about? I will know. Miss Ripley can tell you or not, as she pleases, replied Vandeleur. The unhappy child was to be blackmailed, Madame Sarah's object being to secure the pearl necklace worth the king's ransom. The cross was to be given in exchange for the necklace. That was her aim, but she is defeated. Ask me no questions, sir. If this young lady chooses to tell you, well and good, but if not, the secret is her own. Vandeleur bowed and backed towards me. "'The secret is mine,' cried Antonia, "'but it also shall be yours, George. I will not be your wife with this ghastly thing between us. You may never speak to me again, but you shall know all the truth.' "'Upon my word, a brave girl, and I respect her,' whispered Vandeleur. "'Come, Druce, our work so far as Miss Antonia is concerned is finished.' We left the room. "'Now, to see Madame Sarah,' continued my friend, "'we will go to her rooms. Walls have ears in her case. She doubtless knows the whole denouement already. But we shall find her at once. She can scarcely have escaped yet.' He flew upstairs. I followed him. We went from one corridor to another— at last we found Madame's apartments. Her bedroom door stood wide open. Rebecca Kurt was standing in the middle of the room. Madame herself was nowhere to be seen, but there was every sign of hurried departure. "'Where is Madame Sarah?' inquired Vandeleur in a peremptory voice. Rebecca Kurt shrugged her shoulders. "'Has she gone down? Is she in the ballroom?' "'Speak,' said Vandeleur. The nurse gave another shrug. "'I only know that Ackman the Arabian rushed in here a few minutes ago.' was her answer. He was excited. He said something to Madame. I think he had been listening. Eavesdropping, you call it. Madame was convulsed with rage. She thrust a few things together, and she's gone. Perhaps you can catch her. Vandeleur's face turned white. I'll have a try, he said. Don't keep me, Druce. He rushed away. I don't know what immediate steps he took, but he did not return to Rollins' folly. Neither was Madame Sarah captured." But notwithstanding her escape and her meditated crime, notwithstanding little Antonia's hour of terror, the ball went on merrily, and the bride-elect opened it with her future husband. On her fair neck gleamed the pearls, lovely in their soft luster. What she told Roland was never known. How he took the news is a secret between Antonia and himself. But one thing is certain. No one was more gallant in his conduct, more ardent in his glances of love, then was the master of Rollins' folly that night. They were married on the day fixed, and Madame Sarah was defeated. End of chapter 2